I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Outer Sanctum is recorded on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present. Good plan, good plan. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the Outer Sanctum podcast. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week, everyone. I am your host, Kate Sear, and I'm absolutely thrilled to be with you today as we reflect on what has been an historic weekend in the <laughs> AFLW, where we saw all 18 clubs finally field a women's team for the very first time. We're also going to look ahead to the first week of finals in that other little competition on the side, AFLM. There's a huge amount to get through and I could not possibly do it alone. So I am joined as always by a couple of my football-loving Sanctum sisters. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Hello, it's Nicole Hayes here. Hi, it's Shelley Weir. Oh, hi both. It's so nice to hear your voices and to see your faces because we can see each other as we we are recording. When was the last time the three of us got together to chew the fat about footy? I don't know. It's been too long. It's been too long. There certainly weren't 18 clubs in the AFLW when it happened, that's for sure. <laughs> that's true. That's true. It was like something like the 1890s, I feel, since I saw you both. <laughs> As I said at the start, it was a really huge weekend of football and a historic, historic weekend of football where we finally saw the competition become whole. Uh, Port Adelaide, Sydney, Essendon and Nicole, our beloved Hawks, finally made their respective debuts in the women's competition. I have to say that I thought all four new teams put on a terrific showing. Um, Port Adelaide, of course, led West Coast until the final quarter when there was a really impressive final term from the Eagles to see them pull off the win. Up in North Sydney, it was the most beautiful evening, late afternoon evening for football that you could dream of. It was a huge crowd, absolutely beautiful sunset. And of course, the Swans did go down to St Kilda, but there was some fantastic passages of play and a lot of talent among the Swans. And finally, a crowd of more than 12,000 people saw Maddie Presparkus in her element in a dominant performance for the team that she grew up barracking for, which is Essendon, of course. They defeated Hawthorne in what was at times a pretty fiery contest, I must say, but a very enjoyable one. Both of you were able to go along to the game. And so, Nick, I'm going to come to you first because as a lifelong Hawks supporter, I want to hear what it was like for you and what it meant to you to be at that game. Uh, that's what the whole pod's about, isn't it? Because I could talk about it for 45 minutes. I won't. Yeah, Shelley's just going to sit and listen while You're we talk about the Hawks. Get comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, 
It's very hard to articulate, largely because when I was a child and wanted to play football, there was no concept of women playing as adults. There was barely room for children to play. And so I can't even say it was on my radar. I can't say this is a lifelong dream. It simply didn't occur to me that this was even a possibility. And of course, we fast forward to 2017 and the reality of an AFLW having women play at the elite level was staggering and, and shocking and fabulous for, for so many of us. And I guess I always held a little bit back because my team wasn't there. What it allowed me to do was to engage with every team on some level. I, I felt a deep passion, whether it was certain players or coach or just a style of play. I really felt connected to it pretty much every team on some level, which made, well, it made it great because I couldn't really lose no matter who was playing on one level. But it was so interesting to, it's so incredible to watch them run out on Saturday night in brown and gold. We had the the kind of the warm-ups with first the Box Hill VFLW team and then that first shift into the Hawthorne VFLW team. And now, and I thought I was ready for it. I thought I'd warmed mm. up. It took my breath away. I, and any possible hope that I was a sensible, rational football fan pretty much went out the window. I realized my soul, my spirit, my blood runs brown and gold. There will be no reason, no sense, no logic. And I'm I'm just going to apologize for the rest of the season, uh, for, for now, for yeah, the rest of the season. <laughs> because I, it's different. It's different. It feels really, really different. And it's I'm never going to forget it. Fabulous. Shelley, you were there. How, how did you see it? I, I know you wore a lovely brown and gold jacket in solidarity with us hawkers but how was it for you as a as a Carlton fan to see that experience for for us and for everybody else who was there that night yeah I just wanted to be there to share in your joy because you know being a part of the Outer Sanctum podcast and knowing how much you do love Hawthorne it was really important for me to be there for that moment so I wanted to share in that and just to see and feel the joy that you all had. And that was really, really special to sit there with you and enjoy that. And then Maddie Presparkas, you know, she just ruined my day in that black and red. But anyway, once I got over that, I'm just kidding, I kid. It was a joy to see her play for her team that she wanted. It was wonderful. You know, driving in, I saw young girls with their mum and dad walking into the game in their Hawks outfits and it Everything about it is just so special and it's the highlight of my whole entire round with these four new teams coming in. But to sit in that moment with all of you was really beautiful. Well, there were lots of other highlights, of course, and I have to acknowledge Bonnie Too Good, who was just sensational. <laughs> she was too good, too good by name and too good by nature. But there were lots of other highlights from across the round. Nicole, what else took your eye? What what else was impressing you? So there were a couple of big moments and, and I am going to just have to go back to Hawthorne for one, one brief one. Um, I think many of us saw the beautiful footage of Sophie Locke being told that she would be debuting for Hawthorne um, by Beck Goddard on video with her family sort of in on camera watching at the same time. You know, the, the significance of that within a couple of weeks her, of her mother's passing was just extraordinary. So to see her run out in and itself was just an incredible statement of her passion and determination and just the strength of her. But the fact that she scored Hawthorne's first ever AFLW goal, 
it is a f- actual fairy tale. That her name is in history, in, in the history books forever, and she can own that. And I just, I mean, she's incredibly talented. We're going to see some great things from her, but what a way to sort of put your stamp on the game and just, yeah, and I, can, I imagine her mum was very proud and her whole family. There were lots of them out there in the crowd. I, I swear I could hear them all screaming. But so that was my sort of emotional, sentimental highlight. But my football highlight across the board, I have to say, was Brisbane. I know that it's a challenge when there's sort of a one-sided game like the Brisbane Frio match was, mm. but you know they had such a tough year last year, uh, last season. They really had it sort of a, hard, a harder draw than everybody else. There were back-to-back games, and there was much more travel. They had so many extra obstacles to overcome, and so they were really quite unlucky to miss out on the fight. You know, making actual grand final. You know, to fall one short. Watching them have a normal preseason um, or at least as normal as everybody else got this this time around and to watch that continued domination of so many different goal scorers so many different players sharing the load they are a magnificent team to watch they really are um, unstoppable Greta Bodie Courtney Hodder and uh, Jess Wardlow although I kicked two and two but they all kicked two goals each which is in AFLW quite a thing to do but to have Mm. that sort of a spread and I'm not even mentioning the best players yet and that's what makes them you know there's Anderson had 23 disposals you've got both the Sparks Bates and Conway all of them in their own right would be dominant players in any other team and so to have that incredible spread that depth of talent and just to watch the poetry of them when they get it all together being capped off by those x-factor players like Courtney Hodder and, and Greta Bodhia, they are a force to be reckoned with, and I'm I'm calling it. I'm seeing it at Brisbane Grand Final. I am. Oh, I love it. Hard early. <laughs> I, she's I said Grand Final. Hard. I didn't say Premiership. I said Grand Final. <laughs> she has gone hard and she has gone early, but I like it. I like the confidence like and the it. commitment, Nick. It's really good. Shelley, what what were your highlights of the round apart from being at the the first ever Hawthorne Essendon game? It was it was special to be there. You're quite right, but I'm a, I'm a little bit of an old sentimental duck. It was all about for me. It really was the joy. I thought everybody lifted during the games, and there were some magnificent games. But I loved, and you touched on it too, um, with talking about the videos. It was all the videos about the uh, players that were debuting. But I especially love and my favourite was the Port Adelaide video where Hannah Ewings and Amelia Borg thought they were actually reading a script to thank AFLW partners. But in actual fact, they were reading out that they were debuting to each other. And just that joy. I mean, I probably say it every time, but that is the thing I love about AFL is that people are living their dream. The sport of AFL, you know, they've wanted to do it and here they are making it happen. And those moments where we're watching debut videos or people finding out with their family, they they bring such joy to me and and. We were bombarded with so many this round, you know, a lot of, you know, I mean, let's face it, we got four teams and a whole bunch of new people have joined the ranks. So it was just special to see that moment of joy and then it play out in all of the games. And I think I'll probably take another look at it differently in the coming weeks. But this week was, for me, was all joy. We could spend another hour on highlights of the round, I think, but I want to mention a couple of other ones. Um, Speaking about living the dream, Shelley, one person who lived the dream over the weekend was George. Georgie Presparkas, who kicked mm. that last-minute goal uh, to seal a come-from-behind win for Geelong over Richmond. Sorry to our Tigers uh, fans, particularly our own Tess Armstrong, mm-hmm. who I know um, had to block her ears to hear that again. But I 
really enjoyed. I think the match of the round for me was the grand final rematch between Adelaide and, and Melbourne. That was a gripping contest. It was so physical. It was so brutal. There was a lot of feeling in it uh, as well. Mm. That The uh, skills of both teams, I think, are, are more and more polished each time we see them. There was a fantastic tussle between Taylor Harrison and Chelsea Randall, who I think Chelsea Randall is sort of the most perpetually underrated player in the competition. I feel like she should have won like all the awards every time I watch her play. But geez, I loved that game. It was, it it felt like it could go either way. And and in the end, Melbourne won 44 to 26, but that doesn't quite do justice to how close the contest was. One of the things I loved about that game was after it finished, Daisy Pierce was interviewed on field briefly. And, uh, you know, not only does she, like she does it all, Daisy, she, she you know, she played a, an important role. She's the captain of the club. But then she just gave a post-match analysis <laughs> or she was sort of half out of breath and she was asked to explain how she saw it. You know, so many players, particularly in the AFLM, will give the, you know, one week at a time credit to the boys kind credit of talk. To the boys, yeah. <laughs> Daisy gave us just a full match analysis of exactly how it unfolded and how Melbourne won and I, I really enjoyed that. I just thought she's she's a real all-rounder. Well, it was a really special weekend for so many of us, including many of our listeners who've been waiting for years and years to see their clubs field a women's team at long last. A couple of our listeners, Pep and Nick, saw their teams finally join the AFLW competition on the weekend and they sent us their reflections on the historic moment. To see the Essendon women's team finally take to the ground was actually a really overwhelming experience. Far more than what I expected for myself. As I rolled up to the ground, I actually was getting goosebumps uh, and I certainly didn't expect that. To have such a visceral response and reaction to what was about to happen was something that really took me by surprise. For me, something that was really special about the night is not only was it history making, but for my own family, I got to take my father, who's a lifelong Essendon supporter, my mother, unfortunately a Collingwood supporter, but who wanted to come along for such a history making moment, and my niece and nephew, who are mad crazy Essendon supporters. All of us got to go along together with my best friend and her son too, to watch these two powerhouse teams, Essendon and Hawthorne, play off against one another and for women to finally take the field in those colours. Even though for the past six seasons I've given my heart and my soul to the Western Bulldogs women because I had to choose a team that wasn't my lifelong team of Essendon, to finally have that lifelong love of Essendon represented by such incredible women out on the field provided me a feeling that I hadn't actually experienced. Even barracking so wholeheartedly and supporting so deeply the Western Bulldogs women. Interestingly, this is a really consistent experience that I've seen on social media of those people whose teams finally made it in season seven, who have supported women's footy all the way through since its inception with AFLW. The experience of finally seeing the team that you've supported your whole life taking to the field and being represented by such phenomenal women athletes is just an incredible experience. And to be there to see history being made and the rivalry continue between Essendon and Hawthorne was just 
such an incredible and outstanding memorable experience and one that will certainly stay with me for the rest of my life. Hi Outer Sanctumers, it's your old friend Nick here. I just wanted to drop by and say happy AFLW season seven and I just wanted to give you a couple of thoughts about how unbelievably excited I am about the inclusion of the first Sydney Swans AFLW team into the competition. I was five when my team were taken out of their heartland and sent up to Sydney. I followed them ever since then and watching them on television last night unfortunately I couldn't get up to Sydney to watch but it was an amazing moment and one that I'll never forget. It is in line with in 1986, going up to Sydney to watching my team play at the SCG for the first time and having a win over St Kilda. And then I'm sorry to say for some of you in 1996, going up to Sydney and watching the Swans win their first final since 1946 against Hawthorne, which was the game prior to Plugger kicking his point after the siren in the prelim a couple of weeks later. But I'm most excited about next weekend being able to see the AFLW Swans team live against Collingwood at Victoria Park. I'll be there. I will probably have a tear in the eye watching them play. It uh, certainly not only makes the competition whole, but certainly makes my club feel like it's whole and it's a, a fully integrated club now. I'm just as excited about the, the women as I am about our men's team. Anyway, uh, thanks again, as always, for everything you do. It's amazing and uh, good luck to the Swans. It was such a happy weekend for all of those of us who love AFLW. Thanks again to Pep and to Nick for sending in their reflections. But I just want to acknowledge that it wasn't a happy weekend for everyone and I want to pause and recognise the suffering uh, endured by those who had to persist with women's footy across the weekend, for those who had to put up with it being broadcast on a television that they could presumably switch over or off really at any time they wanted. In recognition of their pain, I want us to start a new segment. It might only run this week. It might come back a few times. Let's see. I'm calling this segment Sad Tweets. On behalf of the Outer Sanctum, our thoughts and prayers go out to at Jacob, who said that it was being relentlessly thrown in his face every time you try to watch something else. I'd like also to send thoughts and prayers to at James, who noted that UAFLW fans will never be happy. Thankfully, of course, AFLM fans have never complained about anything at all, James, so we will aspire to be just like them, and thanks kindly for the tip. And finally, on behalf of everyone at the Outer Sanctum, I'd like to send thoughts and prayers to at Darren Hinch, who tweeted, You want it to work, but when you have a three and one quarter time score in the AFLW of 10-8, you have viewer problems. So thanks for those wise words, Darren. I just have a couple of observations. First of all, we don't have breaks at the three and one quarter mark, just at the three quarter mark. And there were some viewer problems, like the game was really tense, the footy was absolutely gripping, and we were all really nervous while we were watching it. Plus, as I mentioned earlier, Georgie Presparkas broke the hearts of a few times out there, but thanks for your concern and understanding. This has been Sad Tweets. <laughs> All right, sisters, let's roll up our sleeves and melee. There's a lot to talk about this week. I want to start off with uh, something you did over the weekend, Shelley. You went to a function that celebrated trailblazers in the women's game. Tell us a bit about this event and, and who was there. It was just amazing. I went to an event prior to the game of the Hawthorne. We should just mention Hawthorne played football on the weekend again <laughs> in the women's. So I did. 
they did. So it was a function that was linked to that game and it was just for the trailblazers who had made that moment possible, that it had made, been a part of making season seven and all before um, possible. But it was a notable difference and I think, and I know, I don't think, after seven years of being a part of the AFLW world, I know the difference was Debbie Lee. So Debbie Lee's been appointed the National Women's and Girls Action Plan lead at the league headquarters. And it's the first time I've gone to a function where they have pl- not just had a sentence where we've paid tribute to the trailblazers before us, but actually there was a meaningful tribute to them. She read through names and a list of names and people who had contributed and had done all of the hard work and had the vision for what was possible for us to be a part of on um, the weekend. And then she introduced a panel and the panel was remarkable. It's actually been one of the best panels that I've been a part of in my time at the AFL. It was all about paying tribute to these three women who've played a key role. And it was Lynn Smith, Patty Kinnisley and Lisa Hardiman. So I didn't know the story of Lynn Smith when she sat down and I had never heard anyone speak of Lynn Smith before. But Lynn was the woman that put an ad in the paper, The Sun, all those years ago and said, does anyone want to play football with me when nobody was playing? She got 60 plus women who called her on her auntie's phone and she took those numbers down and she told them where to meet her like she'd organized a party they all rocked up and she had four teams and she created this league in this moment and you know it was just that fundamental beginnings of AFLW that we haven't heard or celebrated or had anything to do with and there's Debbie Lee rocks up and it's so important to her she's always talking about history and how important it is and that it needs to follow us which I you know as an Aboriginal person she's speaking my language here but it was so beautiful to be a part of it you know and then Patty and Lisa they talked about being able to watch these players play footy without having to hide that they that they do they do it because in their time they had to hide they couldn't tell people they played football because it was so frowned upon within their own communities out of the football league so they just talked about the freedom and it just these trailblazers just blew my mind and then there was this every single one of them thanked a person that was in the room and it was full of these amazing people and you know they had a big group photo and it was just it was really special to see and I'm really looking forward to what Debbie Lee brings to AFLW and you know she's got that utmost respect for history but she's got that utmost respect for the future and it's really exciting it just gave me goosebumps the whole thing I was just felt so honoured to be in that room. That sounds absolutely amazing, Shelley. And, you know, when you were telling Nicole and I about this event over the weekend, I, you know, I was sort of sad that I didn't get to be there and that I wasn't able to hear those stories. And, you know, one thing I've wondered is why it is that we don't know these stories. Why are they so hidden? And what can we do to make them more visible and to recognise the contributions that these women have made to the game? And, You know, in my view, I think it's really important because there are, I think, out there some misconceptions about how recent women's football is. Um, You know, women have been playing footy for 100 years or or more, the first women's game. Um, There's also a misconception out there that women have had it all handed on a platter to them by the AFL. And, you know, those kind of critiques do get taken up. You know, a lot of them appear on social media, but they do sometimes get taken up by luminaries in the game, Um, men who work in commentary boxes or on television or past players who have a big um, megaphone to, to kind of broadcast these critiques of the women's game. And part of what I 
I'm interested in, and Nicole, I, I want to come to you to hear your thoughts on this is, you know, why is it that we don't know these histories and, and would it help to chip away at some of those myths and misconceptions about women's footy if, you know, instead of that panel kind of appearing in front of a small group of people at, at Docklands on the weekend, it was kind of on a bigger stage. You know, will that would that do something? It is about awareness, isn't it? And it is about platforms. And the reality is those platforms have been dominated by the people who came from the culture that dominated the game for so long and and they continue to re-perpetuate those same patterns um, with the occasional, you know, acknowledgement of women or people who have come from outside of the the AFLM or the VFLM and generated change or brought difference and brought, you know, expanded the audience in different ways. But at the moment, those platforms are still largely dominated by the same people. And until you see, though, the media is probably the most obvious place for, for um, those faces and for those those names to receive the recognition they deserve, it's not going to change. You know, I think we've seen it where there's a, the hesitation or the, the very slow attempt to redress the imbalance in statues to, to, well, women at all, but certainly women in sport, how, you know, they continue to be, that there are more horse statues, <laughs> more, more mm. statues in the name of uh, people by by the name of Keith than there are women across the whole sporting landscape. These things matter. I, I'm, I don't want to be told and we, we're constantly hushed, be quiet, you've got enough. Those things, that's just symbolism, it's tokenism, we want real change. You can do both. And the fact that they are valued by the rest of society, why shouldn't they be valued by the game changers and, and the, the people who you know have been ignored for such a long time? But I'm so excited about Debbie Lee being at AFL House. I guess that the AFL knew what they were doing when they brought her in because she is not going to just do as she's told. There is none of that. Mm-hmm. Debbie Lee is a game changer. She will shake things up. She will make sure that events like what you attended, Shelley, and that the recognition is widespread, that it's rich and it's deep and that those stories are being told. So I can't wait to see what she brings to the conversation around sport, but also the legacy. Listening to you hear that, Nicole, too, reminds me that, you know, there have been attempts over a period of time to really elevate and amplify the history of the women's game. So I think of the documentary that was made a few years ago by Angela Pippos and Nicole Minchin, um, Sam Lane's book, Raw. You know, there are many examples of documentaries, books, articles, kind of telling these histories and telling these stories, but I just feel like they don't get sufficient cut through somehow. And, uh-huh. you know, one of one of the other things that I've been reflecting on is whether it really matters. Like there's, there's a part, I'm, I'm sort of torn, you know, because when I see whether it's kind of average, you know, your, your average fan, your, your ordinary fan or a more vocal past player making critiques of the AFLW, I sometimes just want to ignore it and dismiss it because I think, well, that's a shame. You don't know the history and we don't have to really, we don't have to explain it to you. It's not for us, you know. And and I do also feel sort of resistant to the idea of having to tell them the story of how women's footy came to be in circumstances where, you know, often they're part of the very cohort of people who prevented women from being able to play football in the first place. So I feel like we know, we owe no explanation to you. Those women don't have to account for themselves or tell their story but then there's a part of me that thinks yes actually these stories are still really important and and you know even hearing you Shelley tell that story about Lynn Smith kind of brought a tear to my eye because Mm. you know I admire the women who kind of pushed past those barriers and 
just tried to get on with it and explored their, you know, their bodies and their passions and desires and were interested in, you know, playing other sports that weren't available to to them at the time, despite the social opprobrium of the time and the critique of the time. I admire them and I want to hear those stories as well. So it's kind of, I'm a bit mixed about it. I don't know. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I'm Katie Brennan, and you're listening to the Legends from the Outer Sanctum. Shelley, you've been the Football Woman of the Year before. (laughs) No, I still am. I still am. I've got like another couple of months. You're our Football Woman of the Year anyway, forever. (laughs) Every year. Every Every year. year. (laughs) Tell us about that role and, you know, does having a Football Woman of the Year and having that title bestowed upon someone each year help to elevate the role of women in footy or do you think we need more uh, forms of recognition that could bring greater visibility to the role that women have played in the sport over time? I don't think it, it lifted my visibility so much. In some aspects it did because some people were really quite impressed by the title and they would want me to be in places and they would want to say Football Woman of the Year is here and so that was really quite lovely and that sort of level of recognition but it doesn't support your career, that's for sure. I mean, you know, at the time of having that I was hosting a a television show of football and you know COVID impacted and financial choices were made by afl.com and then here we are so that meant nothing in that situation but it has meant something in the community in the way that that community looks at me which has been quite lovely and people say oh, you deserve that and they say really lovely things but I do think that a big problem of why we don't know the stories of Lynn Smith is because we closed a book on our history, you know, and we said, well, something new is starting. Instead of, we did it with the AFL as well. Everyone's like, oh, how many grand finals has Port Adelaide really won? You know, like it's still debates that we sort of have. I just felt like closing those books wasn't the right thing to do. Like we should have held those books open and paid homage to each state as they were and said, here we are as a collective now, as a national sport and what we're doing. By closing those books and making that history invisible, we lose all of those stories, which is isn't isn't good so we should find a way to showcase that and to celebrate those stories and that will elevate these people but I do think yeah there would be it would be lovely to have other awards and other significant moments where we do highlight women I mean you know women in rounds you know like we have the indigenous round where we'll have somebody that we will highlight and there'll be two especially in the men's we often have two men that we celebrate and make videos about and do all of these things you know why can't we have like a heritage round or something like that with women's football where we're celebrating you know, these trailblazers or something like that. There's always more to do in lifting women, especially because Lord knows there's enough people holding us down. <laughs> I agree, Shell. And I think that that notion of shutting, the, closing the book is so true. And I think that was one of the challenges with AFLW when it started. Um, it was as though this is the new thing. And as you mm. said, Um, earlier, Kate, this idea that it's just come from nowhere. A lot of that had to do with the fact that many of those pioneers were not included in those early stages, in those developmental stages. So they were effectively starting again in some ways by bringing people from 
the AFLM and focusing on just trying to initially reproduce what they had, the structures and the systems that they had in place for the men's game. And they're still grappling with that, I think, to some degree. I guess where I see I'm heartened is the fact that a Debbie Lee is now at mm-hmm. AFL Health, that you're seeing a gradual return and acknowledgement of these pioneers who did a lot of work and they have every right to sit back and rest now. They have done so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are plenty of other people now who are ready to sort of carry the mantle for a time. They're not going to rest. <laughs> They don't feel like they finished, obviously, and I do. I take heart from that. I think that there's a growing number of people making sure that those names, those stories, the legacy is opened up again, so that we can revisit and and it's a continuation of an idea and not just this resetting from 2017. Speaking about trailblazers, there was another trailblazer over the weekend. Uh, A real milestone took place when 16-year-old Emma Stark became the youngest field umpire to ever officiate at the highest level, 16 years of age, and it's an amazing achievement. Uh, She presided over the Essendon Hawthorne Games. So I first of all want to send out a huge congratulations to Emma on behalf of all of us here and wish her all the very best with the the rest of her career which we'll watch closely but we do need to have a conversation about umpiring I think and this is not at all a, a comment about Emma but speaking just more broadly now I think there is consistent criticism among fans about the quality of umpiring in the AFLW as a whole we've seen some AFLM umpires come in to umpire women's games from time to time it may be something that I think certainly going to become more difficult um, over the coming weeks and, and years if we have this overlap between the men's and the women's seasons where presumably, you know, the pool of umpires to draw from is, is quite small. I'm interested in how you both see this and these issues. You know, is there an issue with attracting the best talent to women's footy? Is there an issue with the quality of umpiring in women's footy? Is it any different or better than the men's, or are we just noticing it a bit more? Nicole? So I think the conversation around umpiring for the AFLM and AFLW is quite a hot one at the moment. The AFLM for 2023 onwards are going to have a fourth umpire, field umpire. Um, That means that they'll have, I think it jumps from 34 to 42 umpires that they have. There'll be no emergencies, and there's been some theory that in the next years there'll be you know five to six even a lot of that's about prolonging the careers of AFL umpires the physicality the endurance the stamina just the 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 demands on their bodies it's quite extraordinary how many kilometers they have to clock up and the idea of sharing that load and distributing that a bit more easily and hopefully in the in the same process in proving the accuracy of calls, um, the ability for people to be able to see from all angles, because it is still what you see. You know, we don't have Hawkeye for everyday calls. We don't have those extra eyes or the Hawkeye view, any of the sorts of uh, technology that applies in other sports. So for the field umpires themselves, it really does come down to their instantaneous response. And of course, having extra eyes um, will inevitably improve the quality there. It does also raise the issue, though, that they need more umpires and there's already a shortage and the AFL is very keen to expand the number of women umpires. So expanding the pool to encourage more women and to allow more women is, you know, an inevitable part of this process. I think the job of umpires could be made easier if we had things like goal line technology uh, available in the AFLW and that was something that was very obvious over the weekend once again that, you know, because the AFLW is being played on a range of grounds, many of which don't have the 
infrastructure, I suppose, yet or the the capability to support that goal line technology. There are a number of goals on the weekend that, you know, somebody claimed to have touched it or it wasn't, you know, we weren't 100% sure that it hadn't been touched on the line or perhaps scraped the point post, but there's no capacity to uh, review review the goal. And that would be something that obviously is an investment for the AFL to introduce that technology into all of those grounds, but which would give, uh, I think, the fan base a greater sense that the competition is being viewed equally as equally valid and valuable and that it's got all of the support. And it's something that would make the task of both the field umpires and the goal umpires much easier if they had that technology to support them. It becomes, I think, quite easy to kind of critique the goal umpire, say, if you think it was obviously touched in that situation, but it's not their fault that they don't have the the technology there to back them up that they do have in the AFLM. So it's evolving. It's an evolving space Mm. and it's still work for the AFL to do. But if those supports were in place, I think that'd make things um, a lot easier. Shell? We were playing at Marvel Stadium on the, well, we, Hawks and Essendon. <laughs> oh, I detect that Shelley oh, might have switched oh, teams. Lord, and she jacket, come in, the water is warm. That yellow brown jacket has done things to me. So Hawthorne and Essendon were playing at Marvel Stadium. Is that not a matter of turn the switch on? Because mm. that technology is there? Yes. Why not utilise it in spaces it's available? Yes, mm. I'm unable like, to explain. I'm unable yeah. to explain. So there's a bit of work to be done there. Mm-hmm. So last week, the ABC television program Q&A had a special edition focusing on a range of issues in sport. And though I have to confess that I actually don't uh, watch that show, I did see a few clips circulating on Twitter afterwards, including a really interesting and important discussion that was unfolding about racism in sport. So one of the guests on the program was the former rugby league player, Joe Williams, and he was asked about his thoughts on racism in sport. This is what he said. I get asked this question all the time. Does does the NRL have a problem with racism? Does the AFL have a problem with racism? I believe Australia has a problem with racism. Yep. You know, sport is a byproduct of of a larger country, right? So the question I have for you both, and I might come to you first about this, Shelley, is that granted um, that racism is a whole of society issue, as Joe says, it's not just a problem in sport, and granted that we all have a part to play in trying to address it, I'm still interested to hear how well you think sport is doing in addressing its role in the production, amplification, exacerbation of, of racism. What it is, is that I see more and more people are trying to get this right. And that's something I am so grateful for. You know, people are looking back in their history and we're going to see more of that, you know, where people are saying, okay, we didn't quite get that right. How can we move forward? How can we fix actually what happened in the past? Because our history is a huge part of us. You know, we talked about that with Debbie Lee. So I think there are more and more clubs that are looking at that and getting that right and 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 apologising and saying, how can we do this? And, and employing Aboriginal people. We've seen the AFL have an Aboriginal person at every club, you know, and hopefully those Aboriginal people aren't the go-to for everything because part of it is that Australians need to self-educate for their own history and need to 
make sure that they they are accountable for things within their own community and that they're calling out and they're doing all sorts of things to better racism and not relying just on the Aboriginal person or the person of colour. So I see hope in that and I love to see hope because I have to see hope because if I don't see hope, I might as well just, you know, lay down in bed and not, not go anywhere. I do think he's right. It's, it's an actual problem that is so embedded within the, the structure of how Australia was founded that racism is a huge part of that. We live it every day and don't even realise that it's a part of who we can all be as Australians. So, But I do hang off that hope and I think that AFL people are getting better and I see a better future. Shelley, you've talked a, a fair bit in this episode about the importance of knowing your history and making that history visible and opening the book, as you were saying earlier when you were mm-hmm. talking about women's role in sport. But also you've talked about the importance of self-education and as part of that, of course, a big part of that is truth-telling. And over the last few months, Shelley, you've been um, diligently working away on a really important program that's soon to air in Australia. Uh, It's going to be on SBS and it's called The Australian Wars. Can you tell us a little bit about it? I sure can. It's Rachel Perkins has created this three-part series which breaks down the wars that happened on this country, for this country. So essentially between Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people when the, the British came over and decided to colonise Australia. And it's all about that British imperialism period. And, you know, like I was at a school the other day that said, oh, how wonderful it is that Aboriginal people have taken Christianity so peacefully and beautifully. And there's that real myth that we gave up, that we just said, here's the land. And and this really shows you how hard we fought. It was a 100-year war in Australia and more people died in Australia than they did in any of the wars we fought in around the countries for other people. But this was a war fought for our country and we don't even acknowledge that history. This is a series that is making Australians look at our true history and what this country was founded on and that's where that racism is so embedded in everything that we that has made us who we are you know that whole myth of us as being oh we just got in and we had a go well no there were over 350 organised government-sanctioned massacres in this country. So it's a really important piece of history and Rachel Perkins has done an amazing job with Blackfella Films and I highly recommend that you take the time. It is certainly not viewing for children. I would stay even year 10, 11, 12 up. I wouldn't even at present probably work with children any younger than that. And I would also encourage people who... Um, are Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander to watch it first before you watch before you watch it with your children. There are some really hard truths in this for everyone, and it's not something to sit down and cuddle up with your family. It's something to really digest and process. So it's huge, and I think it's going to change the way that people think about Australia and and the foundations that we've built this country on. Well, Shelley, I know it's been hard work for all of you to put that program together, but, you know, it sounds like such important television and we'll be watching in our household and um, doing all we can to spread the word. So congratulations again and and so it's such important work. Yeah, well, thank you. I didn't wasn't a part of the series. I'm part of the education resources yes. that go into schools. So, you know, that's been hard trying to make that a place where the children will still feel safe 
in their own space and not be hit so hard because it, it genuinely you walk away feeling very sad. Thank you for the work that you do in that space though, Shelley, because it's for our learning and um, the sacrifice that I can only imagine the psychological and emotional mm. trauma that you would be re-experiencing every time you have to sit through those materials um, and you're doing that for really for the rest of the country, for, for the people who don't know yes. this story. So mm. thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it certainly had its moments. There were moments that um, I missed a lot of Outer Sanctum in the last few months because it's actually been quite draining and quite hard. But thank you. No, we'll be watching um, and supporting it from home. Nicole, what are your reflections on on this kind of bigger question about how well sport is doing at all levels to deal with racism? As Shelley's acknowledged, there's just so much more sort of consciousness being brought to the issue and that's really reassuring. I think that there are enormous holes in society that something like that TV show will do enormous things to address to some degree, but I think there are so many levels. And this this is, I hope this doesn't seem like a really sort of trite example, but I got a little caught up in a rabbit, in a Twitter rabbit hole down one, I guess is what would have happened. And I got a bit stuck there. And it was to do with conversations around welcome to country, the acknowledgement of country tradition and how there is a myth out there that seems to be quite readily embraced by a particular chunk of the society or community who believe that the um, first Welcome to Country was done by Ernie Dingo in 1974 and this is a brand new concept that was Mm. not traditional and is not legacy, you know, is not part of the storytelling of our First Nations people that goes back thousands of years. No, apparently it was invented by Ernie Dingo and this conversation was, I mean, the confidence with which people made that assertion. um, Is that that real? Mm. I am dead set that he oh, did on television for the first God. time. And and what many people acknowledge is that it was not something that was readily shared with the non-Indigenous public. That's the difference, is that he got permission to welcome, I think it was Maori um, visitors to the land, and he got permission from his elders to do it basically for the television cameras, which was, was quite new. Mm. But as you know, we often do in our society, if it wasn't on camera before, it didn't exist. And so that has perpetuated this notion, this myth that it is brand new culture that that didn't happen before. And that, you know, and it's just uh, one of the many sort of adopted cultures. And I just think that the the confidence that people asserted made that assertion and the number of people who joined in to say yes, that they agreed and they knew this. So something as idiotic as that, something as easily, demonstrably, provably wrong as that, you know, if we can't even get that right. So there's so much work to do and it is incumbent on us, I think, Shell, as you say, on on the non-Indigenous community to educate themselves because it's it's an outrage. Oh, it is an outrage. Sometimes your mouth just drops. Yeah, so I'll say it a few times, you know, I'm just waiting for some people to die because I'm never going to be able to change them, but I'm going to work on their children. Won't that be a shock when they're sitting around the kitchen table? I did want to say, even though I do hold enormous hope, 
I do want to say that there are systems that fail First Nations people in within sport and it's got a lot to do with racism and I did a lot of work last year around this with the AFL and I know it happens on all levels and in fact it's really really quite disgusting in community level and second tier football where the systems fail people who have been racially vilified. So as soon as I say, so for example, if I said that somebody had racially vilified me within the AFL and I wanted to take it to the tribunal, that person only has to say they didn't say it and it's thrown out. Even if there are witnesses, I know sometimes we've had tribunal cases where the umpire has said, I heard it. If we've got people who don't see any value in bringing it up or let's not rock the boat, we'll just push it all under the carpet who are sitting in these tribunal in positions of power, then that leaves the child or the adult who has been racially vilified. Can you even imagine not being heard? So what do they take to the next time they play that person? Anger. And then what do we see? Out on the field, we see anger played out in a football game. And then who goes to the tribunal next time? The person who is racially vilified. It is a vicious circle. It's important and timely that you mentioned community sport, Shelley, because uh, just this week, Kim Toffoletti, who's a friend of the podcast and and some of her colleagues, uh, produced an open letter for the Minister for Sport that's been sent to two ministers, the Minister for Sport and the Minister for Community Sport, which outlines some concerns about how racism is handled in community sport. It's um, an open letter which has been co-signed by many people. Shelley, you and I signed it and, and, you know, we're really grateful to Kim and all of her colleagues for putting that Together, we'll share that open letter on our social media in the days to come. And it's well worth having a read of because it documents a number of reforms that need to happen at the community level. And you might be surprised to see what hasn't yet been done and what still remains to do at that level. So this is a conversation, obviously, we'll, we'll keep coming back to and we will keep an eye on how that open letter goes. And, and uh, let's hope that it, it gets somewhere with those ministers. All right, it's just about time to wrap this little puppy up, but I want to ask you both, first of all, before we get out of here, is there any other business, anything else important that we need to share with our listeners? Nicole? We're really excited. Next week is our live show. Um, It is being broadcast online as well as a live audience, which is really exciting. Uh, September 5, that's Monday from 6pm at Hawthorne uh, is where Swinburne in Hawthorne is where we're going to be physically located. And for those who want tickets, please, they're free, but you must register. The link will be in the show notes. In conjunction with the Swinburne Sport Innovation Research Group, Dr. Casey Simons, friend of the pod, is going to be hosting us. Uh, We are really chuffed. It's been a very long time since anyone's let us in a room with an audience. Um, (laughs) Who knows what's going to happen? I'm off leash. There's no question about that. But the details will be in the show notes and in our socials. We can't wait to see you. Please register. Come along. Shelley, any other business from you? I do have something to add. And while you're there, you get a Women's Health Week bag. I'm an ambassador for Women's Health Week. So my friends at Jean Hales, they actually have been busy stuffing in magazines into these amazing bags that you get to keep. So there'll be one on every single seat. But it is going to be Women's Health Week next week. So, you know, I've sort of pushed myself in there and pushed in my... (laughs) 
bags, but they're wonderful. But what I'm asking and what I want to ask women to do is to make an appointment for a health check if you haven't, because we all know COVID has pushed all of that aside. So, you know, take care of your mental health and connect with family and friends if you've been putting that aside too and working too hard, which some of us do do. I am very guilty of that. Stay active, get moving, dance, walk, swim, play, all of those fun things. Find some me time. You deserve a break, people out there. And if you haven't already, sign up to Women's Health Week on the website. You can check it all out. You get daily health tips and the Instagram's a lot of fun and you get those tips and it's a beautiful community to be a part of. Oh, that's lovely, Shell. I have one other piece of other business and that is that um, on behalf of all of us here at the Outer Sanctum, I'm really proud to announce that we are on board as ambassadors for an event that's happening in October. This is an event put together by Endo Help Australia and it's an event called Walk the World for Endo. So this is a virtual month-long event to raise money and awareness for for people who are suffering from endometriosis, which in case you don't know, is a chronic and incurable disease that affects about one in 10 women around the world and here in Australia, as well as non-binary people and trans men. And it's primarily a gynecological disease, although it really is a whole body condition that can be extremely debilitating and affect multiple organs, including the lungs, liver, bowel and bladder. Very little is known about endometriosis. There's very little research, very little investment in the condition. It's really important to raise awareness of it. So if you would like to support the cause, you can go to their website, which is endohelp.com.au to learn more. But essentially what they're asking you to do is to decide how much you would like to walk throughout the month of October. You can do it by yourself. You can do it with friends. Commit to walking as much as you can and then get some people to donate or to sponsor you throughout the month of October. I should say too that this, this is a cause that's very dear to us here at the Outer yeah. Sanctum, um, especially to you and I, Shelley, both being lifelong sufferers of endometriosis ourselves. And we'll share information on all of those things on our socials. Nicole, one last piece of business. Yeah, it's a bit of a, an annoyance, but we, you would have noticed, some of our listeners would have noticed that we're getting two little icons. There's two different streams for to download the pod, or if you're sub subscribing, you might have had issues with the weekly drop. We are producing episodes every week. So if there are any problems, what you might have to do is resubscribe. But just to be clear, we do seem we've to have um, sorted the problem, but the challenge might be that the streams have to merge and your stream might drop off. So if you don't see our little pod in your weekly um, updates, then please, you'll have to delete the one that you have and then go back and resubscribe. And we're really sorry to do that. And we know it's a nuisance, but it is completely out of our hands and we don't want to lose you. We need you. So please do that. Keep an eye on the stream and, and to make sure that you're getting an episode every single week. All right, let's get out of here, you two. We've got a massive weekend of footy ahead of us with a full complement of AFLW games, including Essendon versus Carlton on Sunday afternoon, which I'm quite excited about. It's also the first week of that other little side competition where the men dabble in footy. Brisbane are taking on Richmond. Fremantle are taking on the Western Bulldogs in Perth. That'll be a tough one for the dogs. And then two absolute blockbusters, I think, Melbourne taking on Sydney and Geelong and Collingwood at the MCG. So, so much to take in this weekend, I guess. I think that's probably everything, isn't it? Is there anything left to say or do we just need to wrap up? Let's just wrap by saying 
go Geelong and be Collingwood and sorry, Bulldogs people, but it is time for you to go. (laughs) (laughs) I love how Shelley just lays it all out, lays it all out. Well, there you go. If you've got any complaints or concerns about Shelley's uh, tips, you can you can message us at the Outer Sanctum. You can find us on socials. You can tell us you disagree. Um, but it's been lovely to be with you both today. There's only one thing left to say: Go, Go footy! Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.